So there's this dehumanization of people that don't have wealth that is inside of the mission movement. And my critique of it is that it is a capitalistic view of God. It is not a gospel, a scriptural view of God. And so we associate the haves are closer to, you know, to God than the have-nots, which is the total opposite, of, you know, when we see it in scripture. So yeah, that was a very interesting experience. And obviously that leads into the global mission movement as well. We love knowing and keeping secrets. It makes us feel loved. It makes us feel important. It makes us feel valued. But that is the best kept secret. We are loved by the creator of the universe. This season, we are coming together with some of the most confident women that you will ever meet to discover the secret to moving beyond insecurity. If it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out, then Queen, we've got some work to do. Let's get to it. Hey y'all, it's me Liv and I am just so incredibly honored that you are here for another episode of The Best Kept Secret. Today we're going to get into a conversation that may challenge you in many ways, but I just want to remind you that a comfortable faith is a weak faith. And it's here that we come together, not to agree on everything, but to learn from one another in humility. In fact, that is what we are going to be talking about today. I am incredibly humble for each and every one of you who leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And I just want to shout out my girl, Ness, sis, auntie, mama, grandma, best friend. I, I don't know who you are, but I need to know you because I have some books to send you. Okay. <laughs> I am so grateful that you're here, Ness. And I just appreciate you for the encouragement that you left over on Apple Podcasts. It really blessed my heart and my life. She says, I absolutely love this podcast. I love how God has blessed Liv and has used her to bring conversations about God's word and applying it to our daily lives. I love all the guests and being introduced to all these different people in Christ. Thank you so very much for taking the time to go out of your way to write that review. And for those of you who have yet to write a review, I'd like to invite you to do so. It would just be a delight, an absolute delight to hear from you and what guests have inspired you and touched your heart. So please let me know so that we can get them back on the podcast, okay? Today, as we prepare to get into this conversation, I want to invite you to turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. I'm going to read it out of the New International Version, and it says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, 
just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. If there is anything that I pray you would do, it's to approach this conversation with humility. Today, my guest is Mectis Haddis. Mectis Haddis is a sought after millennial African missiologist and thought leader whose voice is challenging the church to undo its missions as usual ethos. Her work is a clarion call to redefine missions from charity giving to disciple making and justice seeking. In 2020, Mectis created an online community, Just Missions, with the purpose of helping missionaries, receivers of missionaries, and ministry leaders engage with one another on an open platform and discuss the harmful effects of Western missions. The group gives Westerners the chance to hear from the receivers of missions without the financial power dynamic that typically robs them from openly discussing the truth. Her hope is that these conversations will lead to a wholesome method of supporting and equipping local churches and their leaders without the focus being on the one who is sent, but rather the ones God wants them to reach. Today, my guest is Mectis Haddis, the author of the number one best-selling book, in missions on Amazon, a just mission, laying down power and embracing mutuality. Let's get into this conversation. How are you doing this morning, Mectis? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. It's an honor. And yeah, I'm really excited to talk with you and just, uh, you know, dig in. Yes, yes. So you are the author of the new number one best-selling book, A, <laughs> in missions on uh -huh. Amazon called A Just Mission, Laying Down Power and Embracing Mutuality. Can you just share with us why is this message so important? Yes. I got chills when you said number one seller on missions, you know, it's like, look at God and what he's doing. Um, I think it's really important to have this conversation because, you know, Jesus Christ modeled for us what it means to be in a mutual relationship. It's always mind boggling to me when I think about his love and the grace that he extended to us, that it was something that he could have done from, you know, up above, you know, without being incarnated and looking like us and living like us and, you know, walking among us, not having to live in a woman's womb for nine months and then having to go through all of that, going through his teenage years and all of that so that he can be one of us, experience life just like us. Although he created us, he knows our innermost being. He chose to lay down his power as the creator and to live as a human among us. Although he was God, he laid down, you know, all of his power and he embraced mutuality. You know, he lived among us. He, even as he was serving the last three years of his life, he, he describes himself as not having a place to lay his head. 
so the way that he carries out ministry was so humble, so mutual, so inviting that we could not resist but follow him because of the way that he approached us. And in the global movement, in the global mission movement, what we see is that the Western church has dominated, shaped, and kind of strategized how the mission movement should be carried out for the rest of the world in a Western manner and is dictating it for the rest of us. And so as somebody that grew up in Ethiopia and moved to the States, and I've been in full-time ministry in mainly white evangelical spaces, I keep finding myself not really embracing the models, the language, the way that these things are done. And just something inside me was always resistant to it. Although I love the Lord and I want to serve him and I'm very passionate about evangelizing, just the model was something that I always hesitated towards. So I really thought it was very important that we take ownership of the way that God has already created us, the culture that he has given us to embrace and just beautifully express and then share the gospel in that way, just like he did by living among the people and not dominating and controlling the narrative for them and exalting our saviorism rather than Jesus's, you know, power and the saving grace that he's given us. Yeah, this is such a timely message. It's so necessary. And I know that you have, you know, your own experiences that are varied mm-hmm. with missions. Mm-hmm having been you know in a school that was directed by missionaries Mm -hmm. and then having come to the united states as a student yourself in college and finding a very different experience with Mm -hmm. similar missionaries who were like-minded once you actually came to the united states Mm -hmm. can you talk to us a little bit about your experiences both in ethiopia and then in mm-hmm. the United States. Yeah. So in Ethiopia, I describe in, in my book that both my parents went to missionary schools. It was kind of the thing to do because again, because of colonization, even though Ethiopia was, is the only country that's never been colonized, there's still that colonization mindset because all of Africa has been colonized. So there's this white saviorism that's very you know, permeate that permeates the culture. And so there was this idea that if you go to a Western school, then you will become more successful. So both my parents come from, you know, well-to-do families who are able to send them off into missionary schools. So they, they had that background. They've always been conscious of Western culture and kind of indirectly made sure that my siblings and I also were exposed to Western culture in a healthy manner so that we would succeed in life. So it was almost kind of seen as go to this missionary school because they're the Americans or whichever country they come from are teaching you. Therefore, whenever, you know, you interact with them in the globe, like you now know how to lead in that context. But that's kind of the level that I experienced it at home. Again, because I didn't necessarily grow up in a space where I needed the, you know, the participation of missionaries for my day to day life. And, you know, some people have different experiences. But because I came to know the Lord as an evangelical Christian at a young age, 
and had a, such a beautiful experience with him. And the way my church talked about mission was to go into the world and make disciples because God is making, you know, a new kingdom that is full of a new, you know, all tribes and tongues and from each nation. I just had this hunger, you know, to interact with different cultures who also believe in Jesus. And I just assumed it would be like the great homecoming homecoming you know I grew up with everyone that looks like me so I was like yay when I interact with Americans like we're just gonna high five and have this celebration that you know we all love Jesus so I went to a Christian school which was a beautiful experience in one way because I got to worship and study with ton like thousands of kids my age who also loved the Lord and wanted to pursue him but the relational aspect of it was really difficult. I just realized, you know, once I started making friends and once I started kind of getting acquainted with the culture that my issue with the interpersonal relationships that are not working out was not because I wasn't speaking the language, you know, speaking as I am to you right now, you know, I was exposed to Western culture. I just thought it might take a couple of years, you know, to kind of get the hang of it. But even after that, I was not fully embraced in the communities that I was in. I was a minority. I was literally one of the three Ethiopians in the school, which is a huge school. And so I just realized that I was invisible to them. You know, my culture, my where I come from, they only wanted to see me through the lenses that they were presented by especially the mission movement, which which again and again told them, let's go to Ethiopia to feed the poor children. Let's go to Ethiopia to dig up the well. Let's go to Ethiopia and build a house, whatever it may be, which is something I never actually interacted with when I was back home. So I came to them as an equal, like, let's do the gospel work together. But they only had one box for me. And that was to put me in the box of being the receiver. And so they would keep asking me questions like, how come you speak English so well? How come somebody had the audacity to call me? How, how come I was not as skinny as the people they saw on TV, like on those commercials for, you know, malnutrition kids and things like that, because that's the image they had. And, you know, they're teenagers, 18, 19, 20, everything is not filtered, you know? So I got really hurt continuously because of the comments that were so dehumanizing and demeaning and kind of made me, well, made me for sure feel othered. And so I had to go through this process of questioning, Lord, like, is loving you not enough to be a part of the global body? Is there something else that's missing? And the more I dug deeper, I realized that what was missing was I was not white, you know? And so there was a different cultural experience that they had than people of color that live in America. So for me, it took me on a journey of understanding what does it mean to be a Black woman in America? And I really had to understand how others viewed me before I could be a minister in their context. And that was, that was a tough journey. Wow. And you continue to engage. What is 
which is why I admire you and the mm -hmm. message that you have, because I have just been sharing a little bit about community and what mm. we should look for in those communities that help us to feel more confident in Christ. Mm -hmm. And I've shared that it's a lot easier for me to disengage than it mm -hmm. is for me to continue showing up. And so yes. you went through some incredibly hard mm -hmm. realities and circumstances, and you continued to engage going yeah. so far that you began to interact and join the churches, you know, to help run and educate others about the opportunities to serve others at large. And I just want to ask you what happened next? I know you shared that you began to work at a church and with a ministry, I believe mm -hmm. in the DC area. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you were really surprised. Yeah. You were really surprised by what you began to see. Yeah. And about the opportunity that we have to share the gospel right here mm -hmm. in the United States without yeah. having to go abroad. Can yeah. you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. So, you know, I, it's really interesting that you brought up that I continue to engage. I just want to make sure that I tell people that I continue to engage because the Lord would not let me not engage, <laughs> you know, it's, there it is. I have to obey him or, you know, so he just, this is something that he called me to. And I fully believe that being a disciple is costly. And so loving him means that I continue to follow wherever he calls me. There are so many days that I'm like, I'm out, I'm going back home, you know, moving and just gonna be comfortable. So just wanted to say it is not easy, but to answer your question. Yeah. So I, while I was, you know, I was actually interning for this church and it was a beautiful, like one year discipleship program. They had recruited young leaders in ministry to pour into, I had opportunities to be mentored by executive leadership in the church. So it was a cool opportunity, but one of the aspects of it was they take you on a mission trip during that year so that you can serve in a different context. And I mean, like every other church, it was not really well thought out in terms of you just go on missions. Like nobody asked the question, why, how? But I remember even before joining the program, having this anxiety that if they tell me to go to the DR or, you know, like to Haiti, I just, I knew I couldn't mainly because I'm like, I am not Haitian. I am not Dominican Republican, you know, and what am I going to do there? What am I going to do after going there? So I just always had, to, whether I put words to it or not, I knew that the best people to send back were the diasporas from that community. So I just had that anxiety. And unless that diaspora said, hey, Mectis, I would love to take you because of the specific perspective. I just didn't feel like I had the invitation to just pick a country from a map and go. So that was an anxiety. But thankfully, that year, for some reason, they decided to take us on a local mission trip, which I just find is interesting why that has to be a mission trip, other than the fact that it was, you know, economically, you know, a disadvantaged community. And so we go into DC, into an area that has been just marginalized. And I go in there and I remember walking down the street and I remember feeling like, where am I? Is this America? Like, you know, this is 
downtown DC, like the Capitol, the White House is probably like five miles away. And I'm literally confused by what's happening. And I remember that was the first time that I realized this is what they do to people that come to different parts of the world. They take us right to the heart of the problem, you know, but it's more of kind of for a shock factor, you know, or shock value, you know, they'll say like, let's take you to India, but they take you to the slums, not to the, you know, where all the beautiful uh, historical context is happening. You're not going to the museums. You're not going to see and interact with people with dignity. You're going to places where you definitely have the power because you're coming with money and for most people with their whiteness to impose and treat people however you know they want to and feel good about themselves and then go back home and forget about them for a year so went there and it just felt like I was in it like you know you see in the movies like a jail like literally the homes the apartments were barred the windows were barred and I was like, what is, where are we? What's happening? And they told us you're going to spend a week here. We had an after-school care program. So our job was just to go clean it up, you know, and then hang out with the kids, tutor them and just play with them. And I spent that week just trying to figure out. And then I remember we were reading biographies by missionaries and talking about it throughout that time and the intention was like we're experiencing poverty we're experiencing you know just conditions that are not favorable therefore God is calling us to go serve these people and I think that was one of those times that I was like again this is not right like there's a lot of emotions but First of all, we don't even know if these people are Christians or not. We're just assuming they're not Christians because they're poor, which is, again, the, the downfall of Western missions movement is that it associates financial lack with, you know, godlessness, which is not true. And again, when we look at Jesus, he had no money. You know, when we look at the people that he associated with, like I always mention the widow that goes and gives away her last two cents and you know and he says like she's given the most he compares her giving to the wealthy who give out of their excess but she gave out of her lack therefore he upholds her giving and says she's given the most so there's this dehumanization of people that don't have wealth that is inside of the mission movement and my critique of it is that it is a capitalistic view of God. It is not a gospel, a scriptural view of God. And so we associate the haves are closer to, you know, to God than the have nots, which is the total opposite, of, you know, when we see it in scripture. So yeah, that was a very interesting experience. And obviously that bleeds into the global mission movement as well. We take people to these places and expose them to spaces that are shocking, but it's only a shock value doesn't have an eternal value to it. Absolutely. Y'all, our sisters over here dropping bombs, okay? <laughs> you need to get this book. <laughs> oh my goodness. I have a mentor who does long-term missions trips to Kenya and has a relationship mm -hmm. with a Kenyan school and orphanage and a um, 
just a beautiful movement that mm. our friend Shay has really helped to facilitate to help rescue girls from child mm. marriage. And I'm always amazed by the conversations that we and the team have when they return because they always talk about this interesting dynamic that we pray that those within developed nations, those within economically developing nations might become like us. Mm -hmm. But in reality, we should want to become exactly. like them in many ways. Like they have yeah. such a, a richer, deeper knowledge of the Lord and who yeah. he is and what he's capable of within their own lives. And they're willing mm -hmm. to walk miles in the rain to go and be with a Christian community because they know yeah. of how it will fill them up when we yeah. don't even go into the garage to get into the yeah. car to go to the church exactly. on a Sunday morning when it's spring. Exactly. And so I just do appreciate this that you've brought out because mm -hmm. one of the things that you've shared is the rich culture mm -hmm. of Christianity mm -hmm. within Ethiopia. Mm -hmm. We know that it is in our Bible multiple mm -hmm. times. Mm -hmm. And so my question to you is just, what would you recommend that people begin to do? They have mm -hmm. made up in their minds, you know, mm -hmm. they want to go, they want to ensure that they are sharing the good news. Yes. And yet, mm -hmm. if that is true, and if you do feel the Lord calling you to do that, there are some things that you can do to yeah. be wise and yeah. to ensure that you are helping mm -hmm. instead of hindering the move of God there in that place for your own gain. Can you bring us into this? Our conversation will be back in just a moment. But for right now, I want to ask, are you the creative, the queen, or the conqueror? Could you be all three? I want to invite you to head over to liveduly.com and take the Confident Collaborations Quiz. Together, we are going to walk in our calling more confidently than ever before and engage in kingdom collaborations. This two-minute quiz will help you identify your strengths and even a few areas of growth to help you be everything that God designed you to be. It's at liveduly.com slash quiz, and you can find the link in the description below. Yes, I always, it's so interesting to answer this question because like you said, people have their minds made up that they should go. So I always hold them back to asking, yes, you have your mind made up, but why do you have your mind made up? Is it because this single story has been told to you that unless you go, people are desperately dying and that the world would be devastated without you. White saviorism has taken over the mission movement and even people of color embrace it without not knowing because it's the only view that is dominant and has shaped us. Even for myself, if, it didn't, if I didn't come from a different culture, and come to the United States and kind of have been able to compare and experience pain through it, I would have never been awakened to this idea that the way we're doing it, even the going has to be questioned. And I always take people back to Acts 1-8. You know, the Western mission movement is built around Matthew's, Matthew 28, you know, 
18 through 20, where Jesus says, go into all the nations, you know, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, go into all the nations and make disciples of, you know, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. But in Acts 1, 8, he tells them to go and wait until the Holy Spirit comes. You know, they receive power from the Holy Spirit. And then he says, become my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. The going into all the nations comes after first and foremost being filled with power with the Holy Spirit, then going into Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then the end of the earth, you know, mm -hmm. but because we live in a Western world that does not talk about the power of the Holy Spirit, this dominant, again, theology, Western theology is mainly a white theology that takes out the power of the Holy Spirit from the way that we're doing church planting, we're doing mission, we're be doing discipleship. It's all about our intellect and how we can define and, you know, contextualize things for our good and then put God in a box. It's almost like if you go to seminary, now you have known God and therefore you can go and make others know him. Whereas what scripture tells us is to, to surrender to the Holy Spirit and go to the ends of the earth if you know he calls us to go so i would say start with your you know with your jerusalem i would say start with being filled with the power of the holy spirit Amen. because you can't do anything without him and he's the one who's going to discern and allow you to see whether you are needed in your jerusalem in your judea samaria or to the ends of the earth i also like to tell people that when the apostles were scattered around the world it was not because they felt called or they had their minds made up that they they were going somewhere it's because persecution came and pushed them out of where they were and so there is that sacrificial living that is required of us there's this um even a desire, like uh, when I look at the racial justice conversation that's happening in America, I think about how uncomfortable a lot of communities are. And it's almost like, I think the next mission movement is going to be with brown and black people, not only because we can point our finger to somewhere in the world and say, I want, I feel called to go, but it's becoming very uncomfortable to leave, to live in these spaces. It's almost like our voices are being pushed out, you know? And so persecution is coming and that's what the Bible tells us. Like there's no other way to live as a Christian other than how scripture defines it for us. So I really want this power dynamic again, this kind of idea that no, I'm going, no, I'm I'm doing this to be laid down at the foot of the cross and to be re-examined if the Lord is calling us to go. But I would also say, I think like you mentioned, this ministry, for example, seems like they're doing God's work, but also doing it in a way that dignifies and honors you know, communities. Um, and so I, I love, I like to ask people just wait for an invitation, you know, from locals who are saying we need this. Like if you would come with your resources and help us do this, the very thing that we're struggling with, 
just go do that. Like, Mm -hmm. don't create your own vision for how you're going to change the world and then go and try to do it in a place where there's no power that could push you back. Do what you are being invited to do. And I Mm -hmm. think that's a really hard thing for an American to embrace. Do what you are invited to do. Take the lead from those who are leading within that area, within that ministry. Now, you have dropped some some bombs, some hard (laughs) words. I know that you are engaged in multicultural, multiracial, multi-ethnic communities that you love. And so for that listener that is bristling, every time you say, you know, this, you talk about this white savior complex, what can you say to just comfort their hearts and, and, and encourage them to mm-hmm. seek relationship yeah. that with others that may not look like them as they're doing here on this podcast today yeah. and to grow in mm-hmm. new ways? Yeah. You know, I tell, I mean, I tell my friends who are white that their greatest obstacle is probably getting over this idea that they are the norm, that their culture is the norm, you know, their greatest obstacle to experiencing true mutual discipleship relationships is that never being confronted with this idea that all God has made is good in all cultures. And it's, I'm trying to remember, I did my undergrad in communications. And so there's this idea, like in community, as we're talking about different cultures and cross-cultural communication, there's this idea that all culture is equal. Therefore, there's a part of you that you must uh, sacrifice in a sense to be able to connect with another human. And so uh, what I would say is honestly, just embrace that. There's such a beauty in seeing God through another culture's perspective. Like I am telling you, if I did not move to the United States and have been in the spaces, specifically in white spaces, I would not be where I am in my my walk with the Lord. I have rich, I have been enriched by going into a Baptist school that emphasized the importance of studying scripture and theology. Therefore, I just truly, truly, truly grew in my understanding of who God is and what scripture says about Jesus Christ, I truly got to dissect like what the gospel is because I was in that space. There wasn't a lot of noise to distract me. And then after that, I actually was a part of a Presbyterian church as well, you know, because I was in the spaces that I didn't have a choice other than just to join what was there. But what a beautiful experience of practicing liturgy and, you know, just silence and prayer and just this beautiful experience of God through, um, through like repetition of liturgy and all of that. So those are the beauties that I've experienced in those white spaces, but void of the power of the spirit that and kind of this charismatic movement that I come out of, I would have literally, I I don't know if I could be where I am with the Lord today. And so I would say for the sake of your own spiritual growth, for the sake of your own spiritual vibrancy, seek out relationships with those 
who look different than you, not because the world is telling you to live a diverse lifestyle, but because again, heaven is like heaven is in our hearts. You know, uh, when I, when my daughter tells me, mommy, I'm sad. What I tell her is it's because you are made for heaven and you in heaven we expect perfection right and so the things that you are seeing that are disappointing you is because this world has fallen and you're experiencing pain but your heart is made fully for God and so that's why we wait for him in expectancy therefore you know for my white brothers and sisters what I tell them is you are made for heaven and heaven is this beautiful, diverse community who sees God differently and who worship him, not just in different language, but in different ways. Some bow down, some jump up and down, you know, some stand in silence. There's just so many ways of expression because of how we see him, how we see the world because of the cultures he's given us. And so I think it, it, we, it would be a disservice not to engage with other cultures and be curious about how they see God because it will stunt our own personal spiritual growth. So I hope that is an encouragement for them. My goodness, my goodness, what I have just walked away with in this whole conversation and reading your book is the humility oh. that we need to cultivate in order to do the work of Christ yes. wherever he has called us. If you are going in mm -hmm. anywhere, whether mm -hmm. it is that middle school down the street, exactly. <laughs> mm -hmm. to act like you know everything, you will not reach anyone. Yep. So please, please, family, let's begin to ask the Lord for humility so that we may learn from one another. Amen. It has been an honor to talk to you. Amen. I do have one last question on this subject. I, I want to read this right here, and then I want to backtrack a little bit, but it okay. says a church that turns a blind eye to her neighbors, but travels around the world to feed the quote unquote poor is not only hypocritical, but actively hurting the great commission. Mm -hmm. <sighs> time to sit with that y'all. It's time to sit with that. Moving back though, you talked about your mama. Mm -hmm. And we have strong mother-daughter relationships mm -hmm. over here. The Lord has restored the relationship that I've had with my mama, and Amen. he is just doing amazing things. Mm. And talked about your mama and how mm -hmm. she just began to embrace a new uh, experience with the Lord and how she chose to walk out of the Orthodox Ethiopian church and into this evangelical experience and mm -hmm. how she loved you all through mm -hmm. the differences that you had. And then you finish this particular paragraph by saying the missionary we needed lived in our home. Mm -hmm. Is there anything that you just want to share about your mom or just the opportunity that you've had to mother your own children? Yeah. Oh, I just got teary. <laughs> I love my mom. Yeah. I just really, I've never met anybody that loved the Lord that the way she does. Um, 
and I've met a lot of spiritual leaders, you know, I've, I've, I'm in evangelical spaces where I'm meeting a lot of, a lot of spiritual leaders that thousands and millions of people follow, but she truly loves the Lord, you know, and, you know, you see people's character when the lights are off and, you know, the doors are closed and nobody is around. And my mom has always put others first, even when she was misunderstood and being, you know, pushed out of circles that just felt like you've kind of abandoned your forefather's religion. You know, there's this tension in, in Ethiopian Christianity with Eastern Orthodox and Western, Western Christianity. But she is one of the most beautiful humans that I've ever interacted with and has taught me what it means to wholeheartedly surrender. I was just telling my husband, I think the biggest thing I've learned from her is waiting on the Lord. Like, I don't know, she just waits on him and never wavers from waiting on him. Nothing is more exciting to her than hearing from God and following, you know, in the steps that he leads her. So I always pray that God would make me a half of what my mom was to me, to my kids. Like if I was just a half of that, then I would be good. I've been truly blessed to experience just the depth of God's love through an actual human being. And it's the greatest gift of my life, honestly. Such a mm -hmm. blessing. Such a blessing. Such a blessing. I don't want to leave this <laughs> and We literally just touched the tip of the iceberg. This book is artfully written oh, it is absolutely you. beautiful to read thank and you. i just want y'all to head over and check this out i am giving away a couple of copies so please 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 write a review tell us what exactly you learned from this uh -huh. episode through mectis's story and her testimony and all that she's said to encourage our hearts and i'll be sure to get that out to you i have a couple of quick questions for you if you sure so kind as to let us in on a few secrets. Sure. The first one is, what do you do to learn how to slow down in this fast paced mm. culture? What kind of rhythms do you practice? What kind of things do you surround yourself with? Oh, that's a good question. I have a running buddy that I meet with once a week. So I really have found that space, a very safe space. She's a good friend of mine. If we need to walk, we walk. If we need to run, we run. But that really helps me kind of slow down and re-engage and be in nature and just also have a friend that is close to my heart that I can share everything with. So that's one of the things that I do that's very helpful. The other thing is journaling. You know, I have two little kids, so life is super busy and it's rare to get some quiet time. <laughs> so I try to, you know, process all that is in my head through writing and just get it out there as often as I can so that I'm not like, I think a lot of times we are in a rush because there's so much information to process. And I, I found that journaling kind of helps me dump it all out and kind of empty my brain so I can add some more into it. Yeah. Absolutely. So those are the two things I do. <laughs> 
Awesome. What are you reading or listening to podcasts or books are just going on right now? Yeah, it's, you know, I'm running around like crazy because of the the book launching just mm -hmm. a week ago. So I don't necessarily have a lot of space. I'm pulling up the book that I am about to read. Oh, oh it's not right here, but it's a book called Scattered. It's actually a book written by, I want to say he's either Scottish or Irish. I can't remember. His name is Andrew. But yeah, so I'm reading the that book as just another additional resource to people who are you know, asking me about more resources as they're doing, you know, the mission movement, how to kind of uh, decolonize their strategy on mission. I, it's coming from a white man's perspective, who's basically challenging um, the Western mission movement and saying, hey, like, we're doing a horrible job. We've been creating damage after damage. And I felt like his work has, in a way, prepare the path for my voice to be heard mm -hmm. because I think people need to hear from uh, their own first mm -hmm. you know before they're ready to be challenged so yeah that's that's but I I'll probably send you a link to the okay to that'll the be perfect yeah. I'll definitely yeah. put that down below the yeah. one thing that we want to do is to be challenged we mm -hmm. do not want a comfortable faith that mm -hmm. we know everything we want yes. to be challenged y'all so I'm gonna put it down below right after I yes. put a just mission. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. This book, keeping yes. it at the top of that list there on Amazon. Where can everybody find you? How can we get connected? All yeah. So, I mean, on Instagram, I have my Linktree page uh, up, and that's where a lot of my information is found. But my Instagram account is Mekdes Hadis. That's it. And so you can find me there. My website is also mekdeshadis.com. I have a few information there. I do some consulting work. I very passionate about racial justice and reconciliation. I'm actually the project director for racial justice and reconciliation at the National Association of Evangelicals. And the work that I do is really important to me because I believe that unless we're reconciled, here in America, we are a very weak testimony to the rest of the world. So yeah, I would say follow my work with the NAE and follow my work, you know, through a just mission. Y'all, I've had chills running <laughs> up and down my body the whole time we've been talking. <laughs> A weak testimony. Did you hear that? We are a weak testimony. We have a weak testimony to the rest of the world unless we can get this together. Yeah. Our Lord came and died for all of us. Mm -hmm. What is preventing us from getting it together? Is it our pride? Mm -hmm. uh, will you just pray us out? Would you? Yeah. Father. Thank you so much for this time to be together with Liv and with her listeners. Thank you for the way that you have shaped this community and this space to be a place to be challenged, to be educated, to be loved and offered grace. I pray that this conversation would challenge them and just extend an invitation to join you in your journey of mutuality, Lord. Even today, 
as you are seated high in the right hand of God, you continue to offer us grace after grace, Lord. You are the most humble leader, Father. And I just pray that we become people that imitate you fully, Lord. You have given us the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead so that we would live a life that is exactly like yours. We have the potential, Lord. You even said that we could do greater things than you. But Lord, we have fallen short. We have turned our eyes away from building your kingdom to building our own. And I just pray that our hearts would bow before you, that we would repent of our old ways and turn back and follow you. And by doing that, that we may fully understand the depth of your love, the depth of the joy that comes from following you wholeheartedly, Lord. I just pray that hearts that are anxious would be set free, Lord. I pray that as people let go of the things that are holding on so tightly to, that you would show them a new way to live a life that is more than authentic, a life that is transformative, not only for themselves, but for those around them as well. May they become truth tellers and just a beautiful expression of your grace and your love. We love you. And it's in Jesus name we pray. Amen. Amen. And amen. <sighs> that just blessed my soul. And I pray that you can say the same after this conversation. If that's the case, would you be so kind as to head over to Apple Podcasts or Audible and leave a rating and review? It would truly support this podcast and let the guests know that you value their time. I know I do. Now, in between our time here on the podcast, I do want to let you know that I am at Candid Live on Instagram and at Live Duly on YouTube. It would be an honor to do life with you. I look forward to the next time. Love you.